Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to Star Guys, a podcast about Stargirl on DC Universe and the CW. I'm not number one star guy, but one of the star guys. I'm Alex. I'm number one star guy. I'm Justin. <laughs> I'm Pete. Uh, which uh, which ranking star guy are you, Pete? What's going on? I don't. Uh, I don't believe in that. I, I yield my time right. to the ranking star guy. I'm a uh, co-host. I know that much. Yeah, you're a communist star guy. <laughs> Everything even in Star Guy's podcast. <laughs> anyway, uh, we are going to be talking about the second episode of Stargirl called Stripe, or more specifically, S.T.R.I.P.E. And then before you... They will spell it out, so don't you worry about it. They cover that in the episode. And yes. you just nailed the Star Guy spelling bee, Alex, by the way. Oh, that's thank a, you so that's much. a that's hard good. one. That's a hard one. <laughs> Next week, we'll try to spell Stargirl. Uh, so this is the second episode of the show. We're going to be talking about the DC Universe airing, which is a little bit longer than the CW airing, depending oh, on yeah. when you're listening to this. Uh, but don't worry. We do a bonus podcast that goes up Tuesday nights after the CW airing. Uh, you check that out. That is going to talk about some of the deleted things, scenes, things that we're missing. Uh, so you're going to get bonus time no matter what. Uh and the fun of that podcast is we're a little looser. We're, oh, a little, yeah. like, we're, we're, we're cutting loose. loose a little bit. It's sort of <laughs> I, the CW airing. Yeah, it's not as buttoned I, up as this podcast. Yeah, this one's very buttoned up, very yeah. serious. I'll I tell like you, to, I always have a martini when I'm doing the bonus cast. Ooh. Two olives? Oh, you know it. Dirty. <laughs> Dirty. Nice. Were you going to actually say something else, Peter, or were you just going to yeah, ask Justin about say, his martini? I was going to say, uh, I think that uh, I'm calling it now the difference between the short one and the long one, pancakes, the pancakes thing. That's what I'm saying gets cut. Wow. Oh, you're making a prediction yeah. about what was cut from the DC Universe airing to the CW pairing. Yeah. You think the pancake scene is cut. All right, let's hold on to that. If you You're going to cut out that prime mic content? <laughs> oh, I don't no, think Mike. so. Prison rules calls I it. I don't want to ruin anything. I don't want to blow any spot because I have seen uh, both versions of the episode. The CW airing is just Mike talking about pancakes. <laughs> oh, that's smart. They <laughs> really Mike, narrates. <laughs> Mike narrates the whole episode. He does Mike like a whole... Com- he does like a whole Robin Williams thing. He's just riffing, going into voices. It's great. Mike is comedy gold, man. I don't care what either <laughs> of you guys say. I love him. 
Uh, you know what else is gold is Stargirl because it's ratings gold. This is one thing that we should probably mention here before we get into the episode proper. Uh, DC Universe doesn't do numbers like most streaming services. Smart. They never talk about anything. Uh, but the CW, of course, is a broadcast network, so they have to talk about numbers. And as it turns out, the first episode of Stargirl was a big hit on the CW, uh, which I was pleasantly surprised about. Got in the first airing, this doesn't include repeat airings or streaming or anything like that, uh, 1.2 million viewers, and it was a 0.3 in the rating, which is very solid for the CW. That is truly great. Yeah. I would not have expected that. Not at all, particularly for a summer show, even with things not airing. This is, it is tied with Nancy Drew as the biggest debut of the past year and it's just below where Batwoman was which was a huge hit back in the fall Um, so it's in good shape and I'm excited to see how it plays out over the course of the summer Pete you're raising your hand what's going on I well I feel like it's I feel like the situation really helps like you know people are really starving for content right now and I feel like putting out a new show right now is just a great idea as far as people being able to watch something especially something that's a new show so I think they hit that sweet I mean spot. not not to disagree with you I think there is potentially a factor of that there but at the same time there are a lot of things that are just not playing at all right yes, now. Yes, 100%. Um, so I I would chalk it up more to the fact that most folks don't know it's a DC Universe show to begin with, and the CW has built up almost a decade of goodwill of you know what you're getting if you're getting into a superhero show. They're yeah. all pretty even in the ratings. They're all about that level. So I think it's more like, oh yeah, I like Arrow, I like Supergirl, I like The Flash, I like all these shows. I'm going to check out this, I'm going to enjoy this as well. Thanks for yeah. putting Arrow first where it belongs. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was actually at the bottom of the rankings. That's where I was putting them. I was ranking them in order going up. Well, I don't yeah. have time for that bullshit. Classic <laughs> countdown. Um, and I will say, I think this show, of all of those shows that you mentioned, sort of has more of a take or more of like, there's a lot more a more stylistic flourishes when it comes to the, the, the making of it. Um, and it feels very specific uh, to this show, the the way the narrative unfolds, that I think plus, will help keep these viewers that tuned in uh, on board. Plus, it's combining worlds. You have all the people who love superhero stuff, and then all the people who love those car shows about people <laughs> restoring old cars and bringing them back to life. Combine them both with Stargirl. I mean, this is money. And pancake fans. Don't forget about pancake oh, yeah, fans yeah, yeah. coming in there yeah. right, at, right at the end. Oh, yeah. yeah. The flapjackers are coming out big for this <laughs> oh, show. Yeah. You know, oh, you flapjack Don't hive. mess with a flapjacker. Yes. Now, before we get into the second episode, before we get into a recap here or anything like that, uh, Jeff Johns wrote the episode. It was directed by Greg Beeman. Uh, the first episode was directed by Glenn Winter. Uh, but regardless of the change of directors, uh, Jeff was kind of looking at it as... A movie. This is the Stargirl movie. This is the introduction of these first two episodes. So with that all out of the way, just sort of in broad strokes, how did you feel about these first two episodes as a unit? I like it. I liked uh, watching it as a unit as well, because the second episode, this episode we're talking about today, really cements everything. Um, the first episode threw a lot up in the air, um, but this really... L- proves the theory or the that the characters all need each other and they need to be exactly where they are um, in Blue Valley. Uh, so I thought it was great. I do think it's strange they, they were directed by two different people. Yeah. 
Um, I imagine I, that was just for budget and time, right? Something like that. Yeah, and there's such a it's such a big thing to be the director of a pilot um, mm-hmm. as opposed to the second episode. Yes. Uh, uh, what's nice <laughs> is uh, they pick up right where the other one left off, so it really does feel like one big story, which is great. Like a lot of episodes. movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. A lot of times movies pick up right where the middle of the movie left off. Yeah, exactly. You know I mean, a like lot the second times. half. Most of the time, like the second yeah. half of the movie is often right, takes place right after the first half of the movie. Do you ever go to like a, a Broadway show or just really any theatrical show and there gets to a point about halfway through where there's just everybody disappears and there's like no plot for five to ten minutes. Most of the audience is getting up and going to the bathroom because they hate it. And then they come back and sometimes it's the same place, sometimes it's not. But it just doesn't make sense. Right, Pete? Oh, yeah, man. Those plays are tricky, the way they change like that. It's mm-hmm. like everyone goes on a mission. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> mm-hmm. Like a separate mission where they, you don't know where they are, like a, or like international even, like an intermission somewhere out in the world. Uh, you lost Ooh. me right at the end there. Yeah. Let's do some recap of what's well, happened. I, so I, 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 yes, I would like to beat. say that I, I am in, <laughs> I'm enjoying this very much. I think that they're doing a fun job of actually – Having some humor, having some fun like moments and all the kind of like madness. And I feel like the tone of this is different and interesting. And I think that, uh, yeah, it, it's kind of a, a new take on something that we've seen a lot. I mean, in this episode particularly, they kind of make fun of montages and that kind of stuff. I mean, I'm having a blast with this show. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if we want to talk about it in general for a sec, that it has the vibe of a '80s or '90s action show, which I think is so fun. Like th- there's shows that um, maybe we watched a lot when we were younger. Uh, they they don't do those the same way anymore. Where there are sort of like, like A like, Team, like A Team, or yeah. like even all those like Hercules, Xena shows like that, where it's like dramatic action sequences, but also like pretty funny at points. Like that blend, tonal blending across the board, I feel like you don't see that as much, and this show really nails it. Yeah, and I think a lot of that honestly comes from Luke Wilson, if anything. His delivery oh, yeah. on a lot of this stuff is just... Uh, not <laughs> Off the wall is too strong, but it's just clearly not, not believing what he's saying. And I'll tell you, for my day job, I interviewed him about the show. There and we he was go. Talking, uh, dude, I'm offering up some information. Anyway, what he apparently is like, he never read superhero stuff, was never really into comic book stuff, and he would go on set and he told several stories over the course of the interview where he was talking about not understanding anything that was going on, where Breck Bassinger, who plays Courtney Whitmore, kept correcting him, where he'd be like, we need to go get Iceman. And she'd be like, you mean we need to get Icicle? He's like, yeah, that's what I said. (laughs) So that sort of thing, constantly checking with Jeff. And you'll appreciate this, Pete. Uh, The inspiration he looked to that finally made it all uh, crisp in for him was Han Solo. Then he started to look to Han Solo as like, how does Harrison Ford say this nonsense and believe it? And that's what he tried to channel, to be like, Harrison Ford, in the same way, hated the Star Wars movies, but sold the stuff completely. I would argue he still does. Yeah, still does. Uh, and I, Luke Wilson clearly loves being in the show, but he looked at that for inspiration in terms of like, my character, I, I don't understand what's going on, so my character doesn't understand what's going on, but I'm just going to roll with it anyway. And I think that really comes through with the line readings is what makes them fun. 
Oh, definitely. He has this like sitcom dad doofiness that he's bringing to this role where he's yeah. being super serious, but he's also like, all these all these buttons are screwed up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is, yeah. I mean, the fun. part where he walks into the gym eating a sandwich is hysterical. And then he's just like has like a couple line readings where he's rolling his eyes during it. But it's so fun. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about what happened previously on Stargirl. So as we've hinted at, Courtney Whitmore is a young girl. She's about 15 years old, was living in Los Angeles when she was very young, about 10 years before this. Her father never came home for Christmas. He never rarely came home anyway. And he disappeared the same night the Justice Society of America all died. They were killed by the Injustice Society of America. And in the intervening 10 years, Pat Dugan, who was a.k.a. Stripesy, the sidekick of Starman, has been Mm. searching around trying to find out where the Injustice Society is as we find out more about this episode. Uh, He meets Courtney's mom who's named Barbara, uh, Barbara Dugan, I guess now, but Barbara Whitmore, uh, they moved to a town of Blue Valley, and it turns out Blue Valley is not all that it seems. Blue Valley actually seems to be the home of several supervillains from the Injustice Society of America, which, again, as we find out this episode, is not as big of a coincidence as you might think. Mm. As for Courtney, she discovers that there is this cosmic staff, which was the weapon wielded Weapon, tool, whatever you want to call it, wielded by Starman. Uh, She (laughs) inherits it. It has a personality of its own. She immediately starts to think that Starman was, in fact, her dad. Pat doesn't believe it. Uh, And over the course of the episode, she plays around with the staff, figures out more about the power that it has, blows up a car at the local drive-in where some very thuggy jocks are being people. Hooligans if you will. Uh, But this also brings her directly into contact with one of the members of the Injustice Society of America, Brainwave, who has mind powers and is very, very evil. Uh, He is also, not so coincidentally, the father of Junior, one of the hooligans who uh, Courtney roughed up a little bit with the cosmic staff. And as we end the episode, she was tussling with Brainwave. We thought maybe he was blown up. And then suddenly a robot comes down out of the sky, and it turns out it's Pat in a robot suit, and that's where we left off the episode. There's a couple of other things you probably need to know just very quickly. Uh, There's a company called the American Dream that is based in Blue Valley. That is what Barbara works for. That is her new job that has brought her back to Blue Valley. They seem, at least on the surface literally the surface, as we find out this episode, uh, to be just a reclamation project to turn it into the perfect small town America. Uh, The other thing that I'm sure Pete is raising his hand to let us know is there's Mikey, who is Courtney's stepbrother. He's very funny, and he likes to microwave marshmallows. And also, most importantly of all, Pete is going to remind me, Pat owns a cool car. Yeah. Yeah, not just a cool car, a sweet Cadillac. Sweet caddy. And he works, he repairs cars. That's his job. uh, Yeah. Also, uh, Barbara, played by Amy Smart, so well. Um, (laughs) Fantastic. Real Uh, Amy Smart fan. uh, Yes. And also uh, Luke Wilson uh, for this and Joel McHale. I mean, the the really some A list, uh, well, I don't know if they're A list, but close to A list uh, (laughs) talent there. Wow. 
Uh, yeah, he's got to be like top five to seven Wilsons, as yeah. we said. Yeah, after yeah. the volleyball. Yeah, sure. where is he after this episode? Where is he on your Wilson? Yeah, rankings? I do. He's cr- he's climbing up that list a little bit. I might has have he, to read. Has he beaten Wilson, the neighbor from Home Improvement, yet? No, no. Oh, okay. Wow. Are yeah. you are you sitting on a headline? Pete has a celebrity ranking blog, of course, where he really skewers a bunch of people. Are you sitting on a uh, Wilson Spikes volleyball headline for later on when he finally yeah, gets to the top? Yeah, that's a nice one. Thank you very much. Feel free to use it if you have it already. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, yeah. I also would like to point out that uh, she received one uh, uh, Christmas present that she hasn't opened yet from her father. And I'm hoping that that's going to reveal some stuff. About uh, wow. him to her, and for the for those of you that don't know, Pete is a ten year old boy obsessed with presents. Um, <laughs> so that's why he's focused on a very small plot point involving a Christmas <laughs> present from the first episode. Uh, yes, very excited to see how that all pans out. Let's jump into to the episode. As Pete mentioned, we pick off right where we left off with uh, the stripe suit. It's revving. It's sparking. It's pretty cool. Courtney doesn't know what's going on. Wait, wait. I would like to say, though, it okay, starts all black and you hear an engine. And uh, for a second, I fantasized that it was just going to be the family riding in the Cadillac, you know, like, you know, start a little different, you know, just mm-hmm. like really focus on the car a little bit. And so mm-hmm. show some shots of them having fun in it. Uh, but no, no, it was picked up right where it left off. Yeah, I'm going to get, what... get you a Matchbox car for Christmas, I guess, or something. <laughs> you got to get get this car shit out of your system. No way, man. This one's crazy to me. We've talked about other shows like American Gods where you can kind of stretch it and be like, okay, the car is literally a character because it used to be a god itself and it's infused with magic. This is just a fucking car beat. It's a fucking sweet Cadillac. There's a difference between a car and a There is a robot. They open up on a robot suit, which is way more exciting than the car. Super fun. That's like the Cadillac of robot suits. I like how... uh, I like how we start in this moment and we instantly get their relationship. He's like, get on, get on the back of this robot suit. There are handles already there. It's like he knew. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and she's scared, but he offers the hand. She gets on it. Uh, he immediately has one of those hand solo lines where he's like, come on, you hunk of junk. Which yeah. is very fun. Uh, and then they fly off, which is very cool. Uh, at just as Brainwave emerges from the tire factory with... Very coincidentally, Courtney's ID, but it's burnt beyond recognition, and he can't tell who she is. You can only uh, see the hair. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that camera move from them flying away down onto Brainwave, walking out of the building. Oh, uh, that good. was, yeah, I wrote down that it was a classic kind of like fun comic book moment, you know, where they yeah. fly overhead, and then it, the villains kind of, yeah, that's fun. I mean, even though they switch directors from the first episode to the second, I don't think it comes down in terms of uh, just the visuals across the board in here. Yeah. There's a great yeah. tracking shot in the gym later on that's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, yeah. The action sequences towards the end are fun as well. Um, it's very good across the board. Uh, so we... While Brainwave, after Brainwave emerges, Pat brings Courtney to his auto workshop, parks the robot suit, uh, and the staff goes nuts. Courtney's hands Very are shaking. Aggressive. She's That's- nervous. Uh, she clearly relating to the staff says, I'm upset too. Give me a minute. Uh, and I like this moment. Like, I like sitting in this a little bit 
rather than having a hero, a new hero who immediately is like, okay, we thought fought the villain. Let's go out and get them again. This shakes her up. Yeah. But I, I was a little disappointed. We went right back into where we were, where they were kind of like biting at each other a little bit. I was really hoping the chain of events of like, her kind of like uh, uh, needing help and Pat being there for her would kind of let her soften her up a little bit. I mean, it happens later in the episode, but I was like, oh, please, let's not keep this tension going for too long. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I I was a little worried about in the beginning, but it really got better. I, yeah, like you said, it's the arc of the episode, right, is... The robot suit comes down. She still thinks she can handle Brainwave. She blew him up just before. So I think there's a certain part of her that thinks she still doesn't need him. And what this episode is about is by the end realizing, reaching a mutual respect for each other, which I think is good. It's a good arc to have here. It's a testament to how um, she thinks Pat's a doofus, that even when he shows up with a badass robot suit, she's still like... Okay, lay off, dad, <laughs> stepdad. Like, I, I got this. Yeah. yeah, I mean, some of the times when she's saying sidekick, I feel like there's a little venom in there, and I'm just like, whoa, let's, you know, he's he's helping. You know, let's not just undercut him all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pat, so uh, we find out Pat built Stripe, the Stripe suit, after Sylvester died. He asks her about the attacker, realizes that it's a brainwave. Uh, as he dabs her wound a little bit from the Injustice Society of America. As you were mentioning, there's a little bit of a razzing going on there. Where she's like, you guys not too great about names. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What do you think about this moment? Because I feel like, in my mind, this is on the right side of the whole uh, poking how ridiculous comic books are. On the wrong side is the whole Wolverine being like, I'm not going to wear your fucking costume. This is stupid. Fuck you guys. This to me feels like, yeah, Justice Society of America is kind of stupid. And uh, Stripesy is kind of stupid as well. And that that tracked okay to me. But how would you guys take it? Yeah, I agree. I mean, it is. A, it's it's stupid to be <laughs> like, oh, there's a Justice Society. Well, we are the Injustice Society. Or yeah. the Unjustice Society. Mm-hmm. Or just the reverse justice group. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, I felt like it was... I, I kind of liked it. The only disagreement I had with your statement was the, you know, making fun of Wolverine before for standing up for the fact that sometimes uniforms don't look cool. So so just to just to make sure this all tracks, Wolverine, played by Hugh Jackman, who you do not think was a good Wolverine. Well, let's I, be clear. Let's be clear. I don't I'm not saying Hugh Jackman's a bad actor or doesn't grasp the character. I'm saying he's too tall and it's a little disappointing that they don't focus on all the attributes that make someone great. And one of the things that makes Wolverine great is he's very powerful, but also very short. Mm, that's true. That's one of the qualities that people say first when they say, think about Wolverine. It's like, <laughs> yep. That dude is a badass. He's so short. <laughs> uh, cool. All right. Well, so we can only attack Wolverine in certain aspects, only when it relates to his height. And you wanted him to do that thing, you Hugh Jackman do that thing where he just crouched on his knees and put shoes uh, on his knees. Dwarf dwarf it, yeah. Yeah. You wanted him to dwarf it. Dwarfarine. Yeah, or, you know, get Apple boxes for everybody else. You know, find some way to kind of, you know. Mm -hmm. Oh, that would have been fun if (laughs) everyone else is very tall. Yeah, Um, yeah. 
Uh, do you think like there's a is there a happy medium between Wolverine dwarfing it and everybody else getting on Apple boxes or is that just how movie production works? I'm unfamiliar I, is why I'm asking you, Pete. <laughs> it's only, uh, if only you had a job like during the day that could give you insider information about how the you know but business works. You Pete, know? isn't it true that whenever you um, uh, have a big business meeting, you bring two Apple boxes and stand on them to uh, intimidate everybody. <laughs> You're goddamn right. Well, part of that is they're actually full of apples in case he gets hungry. Yeah, yeah. he grew up in an orchard, so he's very <laughs> has a lot of apple boxes on him. Uh, yeah. So after the wrestling of the name, uh, we get a couple of more <laughs> Easter eggs dropped here beyond the characters that we saw killed last episode. We also find out the Injustice Society killed Johnny Thunder, uh, Hawkman mm. and Hawk Girl. So they're oh, all man. dead. Probably not too much of a problem with Hawkman and Hawk Girl, who uh, come back to life all the time. Yeah. Um, but Johnny Thunder, a little bit of tough, uh, tough breaks for him. Uh, and also we specifically find out that Icicle killed Starman. Uh, Courtney calls out. She doesn't think it's a coincidence that the villains are there. She thinks there's more to it and she wants Pat to stop lying. But that's kind of the end of that conversation. That's what we all we get of that at that time. Yeah. And then speaking of the villains, speaking of it not being a coincidence, we go over to William Zarek's house a.k.a. the wizard, who we saw briefly in the first episode. We don't know he's the wizard yet because he shaved his ridiculous mustache. Uh, but his son wakes him up. Zarek goes behind a painting of himself, I guess. Very <laughs> cool. That's where I hide stuff. It looked like a painting of his father or something or a grandfather. It seemed like a family photo. Sure. I think it was a painting of him. Oh, okay. Let me ask you, how? at what point... Um, in your like financial journey uh, toward wealth, do you sure. think you'll be like time for a painting of myself? Oh, as soon as I get over a hundred dollars, it's happening. A hundred dollars. I can't wait to get that fake painting money. Yeah, Pete's gonna fake. go. Pete's gonna go right to Central Park, get a really nice painting of himself with a big head in a race car. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Put it right <laughs> on the wall. It's that big money, that caricature money. Oh, yeah. Uh, so Zarek goes behind the painting, finds a safe. He grabs his wand and goes downstairs, and none other than Brainwave is there. He immediately says, why are you wearing that? Which establishes an interesting dynamic between them. Clearly, based on the mustache shaving and everything else, Zarek is you know, trying to fit in in some way. Brainwave yes. clearly is not. And I feel like it's been, I think the point here is they haven't been in their villain costumes or they haven't been up to villain shit uh, in a long time. And the emergence of Stargirl has prompted Brainwave to get to get his old costume out. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough when you're trying to get the band back together. Not everybody's into it, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're like, come on, put on the makeup. Get on the costumes. Yeah, yeah especially because Brainwave has, is giving off strong, like, bassist vibes. Where it's like, <laughs> yeah. come on, man, shut up. Zarek is 100% definitely on drums, right? Because of the, 100%. The That's exactly what I was going to say. He's got one. The wand, a wand is just one drum. It's a drumstick, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we know, the power rankings go um, uh, drummer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Drummer is number one. And then wizard is number two because they have half as many wands. Yes, smart. smart. You never see a wizard with two wands. Drummers always have two wands. And drummers and bassists, they don't get along. So, of course, that's why these two are fighting. And mm-hmm. bassists have no wands. Bassists are the worst. 
They really should call him. They should call him Bass Wave. Right? That's funny. That would be really cool. He should be Bass Wave. I agree. Uh, So Brainwave says that he called Jordan. Uh, and goes into the Michael Wizards. Jordan? Michael Jordan, yeah, The wow, Last not- Dance. <laughs> Great crossover there. Uh, no, I mean, what he's talking about is he, uh, the character that shows up at the end, of course, uh, this isn't too much of a spoiler, but is Icicle. Uh, and the crazy name that he has in the comic books is Jordan Ma Kent. It's spelled M-A-H-K-E-N-T. And every time I hear that in a comic, I'm like, what? Did somebody read a Superman comic or like passing by the Superman office and somebody was like, Ma Kent. And he's like, yep, that's the last name of our supervillain. <laughs> yeah. And he's married to um, uh, Patricia Pa Kent. Yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Brainwave is called Jordan, uh, goes into the wizard's head. Wizard does not want that to happen. They also drop a lot of information here, very, uh, sketchy information, but we start unraveling the mystery of what's going on. Uh, he says that Blue Valley is the perfect test case for Project New America. He also says that Brainwave is going to find and kill Courtney, at which point Zarek's wife comes downstairs, doesn't tell her what's up, and then a cat approaches. And that's, yes, Pete. That was kind of a weird, like, kind of reveal where it, he was like, listen, uh, I just wanted to give you the heads up. I'm going to go to this high school and try to kill a high school girl. So just wanted to tell you about that. All right. See you later. Well, I do love how they make these villains super sinister. Like, really, Brainwave is legit scary. Like, he mm-hmm. feels much more threatening than so many villains on superhero shows. Yeah. And... Especially around his own son. That was so fucking creepy, man. Yeah, we'll get there in a moment. But I, I do want to ask you, what's what's your best theory right now? What is Project New America? What are they doing? Because normally you wouldn't... The first thought on the surface, it seems like, oh, they're trying to create an ideal American town. But you wouldn't expect supervillains to do that. So what do you think's really going on? I mean, it, by the end of the episode, we see the American Dream is uh, sort of a secret villain headquarters. So I think their plan is to somehow almost be like laundering villainy through wholesome, the front of a wholesome American town. Uh, that to me is what it sort of. Yeah, to. yeah, I, I think it's the same. Uh, I agree with Justin. It's going to be like New America is going to be kind of built on villains. But it's going to be a Patreon like uh, subscription thing where mm-hmm. all the villains can kind of like <laughs> contribute at whatever level they're at. And then that way they can kind of like support their own cause instead of relying on other people. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of which, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash comic book club. <laughs> Pledge that. And we have different levels where you can fund our new America project. Mm-hmm. Uh, where um, I don't want to say what happens next. Yeah, we have so many crime, uh, different crime levels um, that we're willing to commit. So please uh, give big and we will commit large. (laughs) (laughs) So back to our heroes. Pat tells Courtney what happened. Uh, He says that he tracked our man to Blue Valley, found out that our man was tracking the Injustice Society. So that, of course, is why they moved there, other than the new job that Barbara has. Uh, Pat and Cork continue to argue. She wants vengeance uh, for her dad. Uh, Pat still doesn't believe it's her dad, doesn't want to let her do it. Um, She says, fine, I'll do it myself. 
and he immediately turns around and there's a funny little bit where he's like, hey, I don't want to sit on the sidelines. Yeah. Where after all this arguing, he's like, he does want to be left behind. Uh, it's very cute that suddenly this teenage, uh, his teenage stepdaughter is now in the power position and he's like, yeah. come on, I want to play. <laughs> I also thought it was very funny in this scene. He has the line, well, I don't want you or your mom to be in danger. Pause. Or Mike. Yeah, that was fun. <laughs> he's or like, Mike, oh, yeah, my shithead Mike, Mike, Mike yeah. too. Sure. Yeah, he's not important yet. He doesn't have any superpowers. Maybe we'll get there later. Um, uh, It was a little upsetting, this part, because I was like, hey, in my head, I was like, you should be training her up. We should be doing, like, training montages instead of fighting. Uh, It's it's upsetting that you guys don't want to combine forces, that you're going separate ways. I don't know if he has the skills that she needs to learn. I think she's learning on her own, and he is... He is major, big sidekick energy. And, yeah, but uh, I, I would think he would at least know from working with Starman and seeing the Cosmic Rod, like, I don't know, ways to communicate it with it or something, but I guess not. I thought yeah, I don't maybe think he, he... He doesn't know anything about it. Well, and I think the <laughs> other thing is he is entirely powered by the fact that he watched who in his mind were the greatest superheroes of all time get murdered in front of him by the people that he's tracking down. So he is, even if he wasn't natural sidekick, he'd still be in a position of fear all the time. And so his is him saying, I don't want my stepdaughter and stepson and wife to die for this is completely reasonable. 100%. She got lucky, survived brainwaves somehow, and he doesn't want her to get hurt the way that he saw everybody else that he cared about get hurt. Yeah. I think. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, uh, then Pat looks through the files at Brainwave. There's a dog on the stairs. He sees the dog and realizes it is a good time for a training montage, uh, as dogs always indicate. Uh, So we get a montage of him trying out the striped suit. He's trying to shoot his fist Properly, it backfires a bunch of times. He can't get it to work. It's very it's fun. fun. Very fun. Very he catches his own uh, butt on fire. Mm-hmm. Been there. Yeah, all good yeah. stuff. Uh, and speaking of the biggest scene in the episode, at this point, it is the next morning. Mikey is starving, but he's playing a Nintendo Switch, which is very hard to get right now. So yes. that was frustrating. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, seeing that on TV, that was That feels like a personal trigger for uh, Alex (laughs) Alvin. They're sold out everywhere. You're like, what am I supposed to do? Come on, Mikey. Anyway, uh, Court and Pat uh, get approached by Barbara, both separately, or say, oh, I fell down the basement stairs. They give the same line. That was fun. Yeah, cute little bit. Uh, Barbara's suspicious, but they immediately turn it around by saying, oh, you look very nice, and she forgets what's going on. Uh, Also, let's talk about these pancakes. Yes, Pete. I just want to say I I agree. You know, it was a fun running bit, uh, but she did really look great in that suit. What is your deal? Wow, you really into Amy Smart. Smart? No, I'm just saying it was a fun bit, but also, you know, she was killing it. I like that Luke Wilson falls back on his superpower here of being boring when he describes the stair repair. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that, that sort of wipes away. It erases everyone's brain. From yeah, it just about, lulls everybody into a sleep like, oh, he's actually going to talk about fixing a stair. That's that big sidekick energy. Yeah. He also, I, I wanted to talk about it's the a Jedi, Jedi mind trick. Because he makes both 
blueberry and chocolate chip pancakes? That's would, insane. That's crazy. No one would ever do that. No. How, how many well, griddles does he have? And just how many different bowls he's got multiple batters he's doing. And I I just, I agree with you completely. As a Saturday's pancake day in my household. <laughs> and we choose a filling, mm-hmm. uh, strawberries sometimes, blueberries often. Um, but we don't ever mix and yeah. don't ever do double. Right. Wow. What opulence is this on display here? We're doing multiple uh, pancake toppings or yeah. Can I, uh, just to give it a rundown, the things that track for me in the show, Cosmic Staff, giant robot suit that the stepdad has, things that don't track, two types of pancakes. Doesn't make any sense. That's unbelievable. And I would, I hope in the CW version, they repair this breach. (laughs) 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 That they better edit out the word chocolate pan, the words chocolate pancakes from this. Right. Just uh, sub it in with him saying, I made blueberry and blueberry. Pancakes. <laughs> exactly. No, what I'm saying is they cut that whole pancake scene. It was, you know, it was problematic to begin with. <laughs> wow. The whole really person coming rules eating pancakes. Like, Mike, how do you even know that? Real well, editor I, vibes. I know Pete the answer here. to this, but we'll wait and see for our bonus podcast whether you were right, Pete. Wow, that's a fun teaser right there. there will they go. or won't they cut the pancake scene? I will say this is a big Mike scene, as we've said. He's got a real oh, attitude. Yeah. He's dropping some golly gee. And let me say he throws out prison rules unprompted. Has this child served time? <laughs> that's hmm. what I said. That's a good like, question. How does Mike know? How does he know? What do you I think say- he got locked up for? Uh, not to fall back on my interviews for day job stuff, but apparently Luke Wilson and Trey Romano, who plays Mikey, didn't exactly improvise most of their dialogue, but would spend a ton of time on set just riffing back and forth and work with the writers to tweak a lot of the dialogue. Um, so I'm sure some of that was not in the original version of the scripts, and it was just stuff that they were playing with. That's fun. They have yeah, a fun, fun relationship. It yeah, comes off. It's yeah. It's a fun relationship. It comes off that way. I'm glad. I, it's, Let me just say a uh, special note to Luke Wilson. Maybe less time riffing with Mike, more time reading a comic book. Oh, <laughs> oh man! Yeah, he's doing a great job. Don't give him notes. He's doing a great job. Just one note. I'll never give him another note. Just that one. <laughs> I don't know, man. You're a classically trained actor. That means more notes. Yeah. I haven't been getting any notes on set. I I better listen to that podcast. (laughs) Pardon me, Mr. Director. Uh, I'm listening to this podcast from my notes. (laughs) Anyway, big event happens immediately after that where Court steals the Starman outfit. We'll come back to that way in a, that in a moment. In the meantime, Brainwave's kid, um, Junior, I guess his name is Junior, uh, steals from his wallet, shoes the maid, says he wants some eggs pronto. He's been a real dick to everybody. Yeah, this uh, guy's a bad, this is a bad kid. Yeah, yeah. bad kid. Uh, his dad calls him in, who is Brainwave, uh, asks about what happened at the drive-in. Uh, says, was it a girl? Junior says he couldn't tell who it was. He pushes him again, wants to know if it was a girl. He says it was too dark. He's clearly terrified of his father at the same time, no matter this how is bad such, he is. Makes sense. He's such a scary a, dad. Yeah, it's a creepy-ass scene, man. Like, the the tension of this uh, portrayed by both actors is really, really intense. And I really... It does a great job of setting up not only is how dangerous this brainwave guy is, but then also like 
what the son is capable of if he's such a fucking douche. Now, yeah. let me ask you. Um, it feels like Brainwave is testing his son if he has superpowers. Yeah. What did you make of that? Well, I think, and he looked very disappointed in his son, which was also heartbreaking. But I think that maybe with where this show, uh, this episode ends, maybe like the that's going to be the thing that triggers the son's powers. I think maybe his son does has powers, but has never really tried to do it. It does make me wonder if the American dream thing has anything to do with the second generation with their kids. Um, Interesting. Which would make sense for the overall theme of legacy that plays throughout the show. But... Yeah, I mean, we'll see more, obviously, as we go on. But, like, him pushing his son, clearly he thinks he has the same superpowers that he does. Whether he does or not, we don't know yet. That's a great call, Alex. That's such a good prediction, especially because we keep seeing this um, character uh, that is sort of around Courtney, the girl with the dark hair and the white streaks. Yeah, yeah. I think there's going to be some powers given to her, or we're going to find something out there, I believe. Yeah. And that is a character, without spoiling anything, that is a character from the comics. So we potentially will find out more about her. And I think that also uh, reinforces reinforces the theory we were talking about in the first episode, where perhaps uh, Starman is not Courtney's uh, father, and it's one of the villains. Mm -hmm. And maybe a generational shift between um, these kids that are being sort of raised by these villains with powers to sort of be part of this American dream project, rebelling against um, their supervillain parents. So you're saying we might have a reverse situation going on where uh, the good kids become bad and the bad kids become good. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like wow. a, like a grease situation. So the classic they, grease situation. We, way to read the v- listeners' uh, minds. Uh, <laughs> talk about brain. I think we got a brainwave over here. Do you want so, me to tell you more? Tell you more. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, tell me more about this new America. Mm. So uh, then we get a nice scene of Courtney, classic superhero scene, making her costume. She is wrecking, wrecking the heck out of some scissors and some sewing machines. You're pretty upset about this, Pete. Yeah. You you know, this isn't hero activity where you fucking sneak into a room, wreck all the equipment and then run away. Come on. Like you got to later, you better go back and fix that. That goes to my lifts with a gift. Like, if they don't fucking circle back around to that present she's never opened, and as well as fixing those sewing machines, oh, boy. Yeah. We better see that cosmic staff repair that's the different sewing machine and scissors, mm-hmm. which fell apart right in her I hands. Mean, you know, next period, there could be a class in there that their whole day is fucked. <laughs> wow, real big um, home economics fan over here in Pila Page. Rep, repping the home act. Or consumer science, as it's known now. So, meanwhile, at the American Dream, uh, the boss over there, who is very, like, I don't know, Colonel Sanders-type dude, I guess. (laughs) A bit Uh, goofy to be sort of the touch point of the supervillain secret headquarters. (laughs) Uh, Is asking for suggestions from the staff. Barbara immediately chimes in and says, what if they have kind of like a restaurant day uh, on the street? And he immediately shuts her down. She throws out another idea. He shuts that down as well. And let me just say that second idea was cow pie bingo. Yeah. Um, Which let me just say, uh, I'm a huge fan of the sport. They don't really define it much in the episode, but what it is is you paint a field, you divide a field up into different squares with spray paint. 
put a number in each patch in the field, feed a cow a bunch, and then whichever square the cow shits in, (laughs) that person wins. Whoever had that number wins cow pie bingo. I did not see that going there. Like, I thought, (laughs) okay, he's going to, like, you're going to give the cow a little food, whichever one he goes to eat again in. But the shits. No, yeah, cow pie... Cow pie peat is not a delicacy. It is a cow shit. That's what a cow pie is. Yeah. And yeah, this, is a real, this is a real thing that happens where I'm from in upstate New York. So I love that they brought it into the show. Uh, I was, it was, to me, it was like a <laughs> moment where you were like, uh, please, Amy Smart, stop raising your hand. This isn't going well for you. I was worried she was going to go hand up again third time, fourth time. Uh, Let me ask you, Pete, real quick. How often do you um, call Amy Smart on a like a weekly, <laughs> once a week, <laughs> or email her? Or no, no, just I, no, not yet, not yet. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're getting right there. To. Yeah, we're getting up yeah. to it. Great. This is great. This is all. Anyway, we're gonna, I'm going to do a smaller version of cow pie, cow pie bingo in my backyard with um, my dog. So I'll keep you guys posted. On. <laughs> oh man, dude, if you videoed that, I'm sure you get a lot of a lot of people interested. Man, that would be some. Oh, what great are we to- talking about right now? <laughs> Can we go back to the show? This is so gross. Yes. Uh, Pat goes to Ripped City, which is the gym uh, where Crusher is there. Crusher. Crusher. Is- the local gym owner who had approached Pat last episode, he goes there. Um, he uh, Pat works out a little bit. Uh, they chat a little bit. Just sort of a fun scene. I think uh, maybe this is just me being dumb, but it actually took me a minute to understand what was going on here because I feel like it was not totally clearly established. Wait, but this what? was like Pat got beaten up a mudge in the robot suit, so he's trying to get stronger and be more the yeah. guy who can yeah. protect his family, right? Trying yeah, to get yeah. Swole. Okay. Trying to yeah. Get I mean, that's what he talked about as far as when he walked in eating a sandwich, which was just hysterical. Uh, also, I love that uh, Crusher makes him say "ripped," you know, and then he like echoes it. The Crusher douchebag role is really turning into a lot of fun. And then the whole like uh, they start <laughs> playing the montage music of like "You're the best around." That shit was hysterical. And then. You know, after like the third thing, he's like, "How long we've been doing this?" Because you think a montage, maybe he's been do- working out. Like, Takes for- a while, montage. Yeah, yeah. yeah usually they're very long. Yeah, it's, montage like- is just a shortened like day, basically. <laughs> yeah, so he's like three minutes, which is the actual like. I thought that was really funny. <laughs> I'm Got glad him. you enjoyed that. Uh, back to Courtney. She sits down at lunch. She's not quite sure where to sit. She ends up sitting at the singles table again, uh, where we see Beth. A nerdy girl who goes to the school. She is FaceTiming with her mom and her dad. She made lunch for them. They hate it. <laughs> they don't Very, wanna... Truly, I've never seen parents so embarrassed for their child. Oh, yeah. Than this this is, yeah, that was rough to watch. I love this bit. Like, I think great. this is such a funny, weird bit to throw in the middle. Like, you're focusing on the Crusher thing and the montage. But this worked for me because, like you're saying, Justin, you never see this. I don't think I've ever seen this dynamic on TV before, and it's so funny. Very funny. I uh, agree. I also like they weave it into the plot where Brainwave sort of is seeing this and figures it out. And I love also that they, uh, the dad we saw at American Dream, I think, like it, they're keeping this very small town feel. They could have easily had her parents be other people. 
And the small town feel is so important to the show, I think. It, it separates it from so many other superhero shows. Really great. Now, I'm just want, I want to understand what, what your point is here, Zelbs. What part was it that you really enjoyed? The fact that the dad hates her daughter? Was that the part that you were like, oh, this it's is the, really fun? The low-key simmering wanting to cut the umbilical cord that's clearly coming through from the parents to the daughter and her being the way that I don't remember the name of the actress. I think it's Angelica Washington, but I'm not 100% sure uh, who plays Beth, the way that she just is completely oblivious to everything that they're laying down is, I think it's funny. Like it's a funny bit. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Great. Uh, there you go. But as you mentioned, uh, Brainwave works with the mom. He doesn't quite see Courtney there. There's a fun little, like, just missing seeing her oh, as he's yeah. looking yeah, for her. Very close. And that uh, continues. We get a little bit of one of the other characters sitting there, Yolanda, uh, who tells Courtney to stop staring at her. Um, oh, she'll man. potentially become important later on. Uh, and then we go to the open house. This is one of our big set pieces. Yes. In the episode, the principal of the school is giving a speech about how things are really amazing in Blue Valley right now. Uh, Ask people to stand up. People are shouting, having a great time. But the underlying thing the entire time is Brainwave and Courtney are looking for each other. They're trying to find each other and just keep missing each other the entire time. It's a deadly dance. And the uh, go dogs moment was fun, too, where she stood up, he turns to look, and then someone jumps up and yells, go dogs, to completely cover her. So it's, yeah, it's this kind of fun back and forth that goes on that starts kind of at the lunch table and continues at the rally. And I don't know about you guys, but I was just watching that going, man, I hope we get back to that someday. I would love to be able to be in the crowd again. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Did not think you were going to land there, yeah, Mr. Boy. LePage. Uh, there, it, it's funny you mentioned that because there's something coming up that I, I feel like was probably the most important part of the episode for you. Uh, but as they just keep missing each other, then we get to the social section. Uh, Brainwave is going on the hunt for Courtney. He finds another girl with exactly the same curly blonde hair, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Uh, but then uh, Crusher... Goes over to Pat. He oh, just yeah. wants to eat a cookie. Pat 2.0. Uh, yeah. Pat is standing next to the largest pile of chocolate chip <laughs> cookies I've ever seen in my entire life. Did you notice that, Pete? Yes, I did. Yeah. It was also like came to a point, too, which was really mm-hmm. fun. Uh, that, yeah, I wouldn't have left that table. I <laughs> sort of pictured you as like Garfield with a lasagna, but with <laughs> yeah. those cookies. <laughs> yeah. I would definitely start at the top of that like, and then work my way <laughs> oh, down. Oh, you wouldn't start at the bottom of the stack of cookies, Pete? Well, mm. sometimes, but you kind of the top looks more delicious. Mm. Now it's so easier access, the top. <laughs> <laughs> uh, come down to cookie stacking. We've got easy access <laughs> at the top. <laughs> A little word, word to the wise. Start at the top. Those are the <laughs> fastest to grab. The bottom cookies are good, but you're going to want to wait to get there after you finish the ones above it. Take it from me, a veteran of the cookie stack eating game. My only problem with ordering from Cookie Stack is how large their instruction manual is. Yeah. Just too long. It's too long. Oh, oh yeah. Man. Slow down and start at the top. 
in any case, uh, we get another underlying of exactly what's going on with the principal. We get a quick snippet of her conversation. She's talking about legacy, how much the next generation is important. Uh, Courtney goes up to Pat, says she's looking for brainwave. Uh, and disappears immediately again, uh, at which point Pat bumps into William's wife, Denise, and he finally gets to eat a cookie, which is very nice. So two nice yes. things happen to him. Makes a friend and he has a cookie. Uh, what? Then what were you, Pete? This, that was just a weird moment because, like, Denise seems really into Pat for some reason. And I feel like, okay, this is going to be something that will pay out later. Uh, and I'm wondering if, like, Denise has powers or if Denise is just, just like, oh, man, this guy doesn't seem like a douche like my husband is. I don't know. But it was like a weird moment that I hope they pay off later, not just something something's that, up there. Yeah, I yeah. feel like they will pay it off because they took the time to film it. Well, but they, <laughs> and they write it and then too. include it. They did that, too, with the you know Christmas present. But we haven't paid that off yet. So I don't know. <laughs> So Courtney does find Brainwave. He starts following her. She's looking for Pat. We get a quick shot of Cindy walking with her mom. She's pissed off. Cindy's the girl with the stripe in her hair. Um, And Brainwave confronts Courtney in the hallway. Reads her mind. Sinister. Terrifying. Courtney first walks up to him and is like, Brainwave? Like, completely blows the whole thing wide open. I love uh, that though. I like that they reckless. don't. They're She's not. It's a, it is reckless, but I like that it just. This show's moving quickly through the whole like the coin secret identity stuff. We don't need all that. Let's just do it. Small town. Everyone knows everybody. Everyone says hello. Exactly. So he demands the cosmic staff or he'll kill her family, which is another interesting detail. Uh, from the comics, the cosmic staff is, as we've talked about, like a tool. Here, it has a personality on the show. There's clearly some stuff going on with it that they start to layer in this episode. And it's very interesting to me that Brainwave wants the cosmic staff, which suggests to me, suggests to me that it is something important to their plan in some way. It feels is, important. It flies. Uh, it's a well, very cool walking stick. But it's also weird because they're trying to kind of hurt her to get to the staff. And if they knew anything about the staff, they would need her to activate it. Mm-hmm. Maybe they don't. Well, they don't. I think yeah. they don't know that. And okay. also, like, we don't know that. We know the staff definitely woke up to her. But the, the staff may be able to um, be taken advantage of by someone. Uh, With powers? Or just, like, someone who understands a little bit more than Pat. Because Pat was just like, every time I touch it, it turns off. But he's yeah. a doof. Hey. Uh, speaking of which, let's do another doofy Pat moment. Uh, Courtney tells Pat that Brainwaves is here. Brainwave is there. they got to get out of there. Uh, he immediately goes over to Barbara, says he's not feeling hot because he had some pigs and blankets. Yes. Which is like, very fun. I don't know. Pigs and blankets what? are great. They're right, great. Well, I don't wow. buy feeling bad after eating a pig and blanket. All right, all right. First off, you're right. Yes. You know, pigs and blankets are delicious. That was a... But I like the way... Hold on a second. Before we move off pigs in a blanket, pigs in a blanket are just nighttime hot dogs. Like, don't be confused by what... It's Wait, just a tiny hot dog. hot dogs. Are you only allowed to have hot dogs during the day? What's going on? Yeah, what are you talking hot dog, about? Hot dogs are you mostly consumed... Morning? Hot, in the morning? Don't oh, eat, yeah. Never eat a hot dog in the morning. Oh, you're setting, you've you're never tailgated up, in your life. Uh, hot dogs are more of an afternoon food around the grill. No Nighttime, way. that's when the hot dogs get smaller and they get wrapped up in a little blanket. 
And there you go. That's pigs in a blanket. <laughs> okay. My problem with the seed was wait, beyond. Wait, wait. Oh, I I really yeah. like the way that it sat in it. Here, Pat had this problem, and sometimes they do something like, "Oh, whatever," and he, it was just like a. The only thing he could think of, like, "Oh, how can I get her out of here without telling her exactly or make her scared or whatever?" The old I've got you know my tummy hurts. We got to go now. And not only was it realistic and fun, but also the person just comes by with pigs and blanket at the end. That was a great button to put on that. It was but, funny. I will say it was not realistic at all. He it looked was like, like he had a to go Bilanta commercial or something. It really was. He looked like he had to go to the bathroom. Yeah. I will say my, oh. the best joke in that scene, though, was him saying, uh, or she leaves and she's like, Senator? Mr. Mayor or whatever it was like she was talking yeah. to the two most important people in town and he's like I have to go puke yeah uh, it was gross it was very gross I didn't very like fun. that at all I, I, I thought agree. it was great it was paced out in a very funny way but there was something about the scene where I was like you're, you're doing too much Pat oh no it was fun uh, so Back at the house, Pat and Courtney argue about what to do about confronting Brainwave. Pat is going to go alone. He tells her, if he doesn't come back, leave, run away. You protect your mom. Get her out of here. Tell her I love her. And what I loved about this scene is not just the way Luke Wilson played it, but the way Breck Bassinger played it. Because you can tell that is the moment she realizes how important Pat is to their family. Yeah, yeah, it's really good. Uh, it was, yeah. It, yeah, it was really special to kind of have that uh, sit down moment and to like see her kind of get moved like that because so far she has just been kind of like a tough kid who's reacting to things, and uh, I think that was like a nice kind of layer to who this character is going to kind of be and turn into. Uh, so Pat gets the stripe suit from the auto parts shop. It's got a clicker. You love that one, right, Pete? Oh, yeah. It was a fun moment. Oh, <laughs> great. I thought maybe you were going to say something more about it. Uh, Courtney no. looks at her dad's pick in her necklace. Uh, Barbara comes in, says she's happy that Courtney and Pat are getting along. She gives her a hug. They tell each other they love each other. And that's when Courtney makes a decision looking out at the stars She's going to go after him, too. We'll get back to that in a moment. Because first, Brainwave is at the school. Uh, Stripe lands and confronts him. He says, who are you? And he doesn't know who he is. And he yeah. says, who am I? Someone looking for justice. That I love, was... Uh, it's yeah, so go good. Go I was going to say, I love he pulls like a mic. Like yeah, he's a stand-up like like stand comedian. Store? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. like it was like the thing in a grocery store, like attention customers. That was hysterical. The look on his face, how he delivers that, like that could be like an Arnold Schwarzenegger, like I'm here for justice. And like the fact that he did it, like with a, uh, what do I say beforehand? And then kind of rolled this. That was just, uh, it's Luke Wilson getting to have some fun and like letting uh, uh, the actors make some fun choices with the stuff that makes the dialogue come alive. I thought that was great. It was fun. And it's weird, surprising. Again, like that tonal shift they're doing in the show is really yeah. fun. I also love that he's a reluctant hero, which is very much in line with uh, the Starman series that we get a reference to later on here and that maybe will feed more into the show. So we get a big action sequence here. He is throwing cars at Brainwave. Brainwave is just knocking them out of the way with his mind. Finally, he shoots the fist correctly, only for Brainwave to take it, 
turn it around, throw it right back at him, and he gets knocked down, at which point we get a quick montage in real time, almost, of Courtney getting dressed. She flies on the staff. We don't get the full reveal yet. Uh, But first, Brainwave approaches Pat, and then Courtney knocks him back and comes in and says, I'm Stargirl, and that's my sidekick. And that's where we get the big costume reveal, the hero shot, everything. Yeah, it's a great hero shot. Yeah. I like the way that she sort of ETs her way to the fight, flying right into the moon. Um, And I really like that they are the gymnastics work that they're uh, giving Stargirl, I think is yeah. really, it, it fits with the character. It makes it, it's something that um, she was good at before she started being a superhero. So it makes a little bit of sense and just landing on the idea that they do need to work together, that they fill in the gap for the other one, I think is a just really well done in this, in this moment. Yeah. I mean, when we had the kind of big hero reveal and the costume reveal, uh, I thought it, it looks uh, great, and it's it's kind of a fun kind of especially like first uh, costume for her. I I really uh, was disappointed though that she's no longer wearing the shell toe Adidas, the clean white with the three red stripes. Um, but she's got kind of like a more costumey kind of thing. So I was sad to see the Adidas go, but I feel like the getup is is pretty tight. Yeah, that was really disappointing to me, too. Sort of on par with not finding out what was in that Christmas present. Close, I feel like those were second. my two big things. Yeah. You're speaking. Every viewer is thinking the same thing, guys. <laughs> uh, one thing that I actually did like a lot about this action sequence, which was very pleasantly Buffy the Vampire Slayer to me, was having the final fight with this first real big superhero fight in the show happen at the school. I just think that's just such a good, strong setting. Having her immediately destroy the school side with her first shot. Yeah, she slags it. It was great. She was like, oh, yeah. It's the whole thing very good. The fight was very good. She gets separated from the staff. Brainwave says he's going to kill her. Uh, Says, imagine my relief when I find out you're just a star girl. Uh, At which point, Pat turns his brights on. (laughs) <laughs> which shocks yep. Brainwave. Very uh, dad move to turn the brights on. Yeah, not a, you know, wait, wait until you're on an empty road to do that, Pat. 100%. Oh, man, yeah. yeah. Nothing yeah. worse than someone driving with their brights on. Oh, uh, But it gives Courtney enough time to grab the staff, stuck, stick it in Brainwave's face, at which point he starts glowing. Everything gets wonky, a huge uh, dome of energy grows out around them. Everything Zero starts gravity. floating. Yeah. yeah, very weird. We don't find out exactly what's going on with that, but it clearly some sort of mystery that's going to pay off hopefully throughout the season. Uh, but they beat Brainwave. He falls back. Pat uh, is fine. He says, what do we do with him? At which point they deliver fun. Brainwave to the hospital. He's in a coma. And Junior, his son, is looking on very mad but not yet exhibiting any sort of brain powers. Yeah, but, but the way yes. they shot it was kind of like, ooh, he's going to kind of like mm-hmm. the motion's going to kind of turn on his powers. Maybe. I think maybe like he doesn't have the brain powers, but he's very good at waving. Ooh, mm, Maybe that's where the powers really Yeah, manifest. so now yeah. instead of using a wave, you would just wave and it can like oh, move hello. people out of the way. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yes. Cars go flying when you wave your hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see that happening. So we also get uh, what I think is a pretty smart move right here. Rather than having Courtney sit in the aftermath of what she did, 
Pat very immediately brushes it away, says, that's not your fault. His brain short-circuited. He's okay. And they kind of just yeah. move on from there. Um, yeah. And normally I'd be like into dealing with the consequences, but I think it's, you're getting to the end of the episode. You have to move on from it. He was a bad guy anyway. Yeah. I like just saying he's bad. We're good. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, especially because they did a lot of good work to make him, like, really bad. Like, the threats he said, the way he acted. Like, that's why I feel like you're sort of with her when she, like, shreds his brain, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love this moment where a man named Ted Knight built the staff. That's a story for another day. I feel yeah. like that's was maybe going to play into why the um, uh, sort of that dome of energy came out. Um, mm-hmm. the co- I'm assuming cosmic energy, conduit from the stars. The staff is going to have more power than we ever thought um so very excited for that uh and we get some nice stuff from pat where he says i never thought there'd be another star man and she says star girl girl he yeah. also clearly is turning around to the whole whether she's sylvester pemberton's daughter thing he's yeah. wavering a little bit about that now that he's seen her in action um but he says i can't do this i can't do this again uh she says no you gotta be my sidekick the staff chose me, and I chose I you. I chose you. Yeah, that yeah, was great. Cute. That was yeah. really great. And then she uh, stuck him in the pokeball and made him fight in battles. <laughs> um, I also think it was like <laughs> really flustered Pete with that Pokemon rap. Yeah, yeah, I got, I got thrown. Um, I I really think it, it's interesting because they talk like he admits maybe it is your father, which I think was a big point. But when she's looking at the picture. It looks like a picture of Joel McHale. So to me, that kind of confirmed that Starman is her father. Well, but honestly, can't they just show the mom a picture? Like, why? This mystery feels very solvable. Yeah, like, hey, is this the guy? Yeah. (laughs) Because Pat knows all the superhero people. Specifically, Starman. She yeah. could. They could easily be like, "Hey, is this the guy? Is this the guy?" And then we're we. Yeah. That's it. The the th- excuse I think is that the picture is clearly very faded and hard to see exactly what the face is. Like it's not a nice, clear picture of Jill McHale, and I think that's on purpose. I I would be very surprised if we don't find out that her dad is actually a villain or unimportant or something like that later on. Like some sort maybe of maybe icicle. There. Yeah, maybe it's maybe. icicle. Or what, uh, they should just get a picture from Community and see if that matches with. Oh yeah, like Donald Glover or Danny Pudi. Oh, yeah, 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 any cast member of <laughs> her father could be any cast member from Community. Maybe they did Chevy sort of Chase. like a twins type thing where they're all the dad. Oh wow, oh, nice! Wow, way to spoil twins, dude. That's a yeah, sorry, dude. I'm sorry about that. I promised I would never spoil twins or Junior on this podcast, and here I go in the second episode. That's yeah, fucked up. And thank you for making that promise. Very elaborate. <laughs> so then she kind of has this fun moment where she's like, all right, who's next? And well, first we she names it Stripe. Oh, she yeah. comes up with the name rather than Stripesy. And then she says, what bad guy's next? At which point the man starts playing. Uh, Icicle Jordan Ma Kent comes to town. Curiously, not with Patricia Pa Kent. She'll probably yeah. be coming at some point later. Yeah. Uh, he goes into the American Dream goes into underground tunnels below American Dream. We see Grundy Got the yeah. locked up there. Lockdown. Uh, he says, What's hello, up, old friend. friend. Uh, goes in. There's a table, like very classic meeting table. Uh, the boss guy is there, uh, Colonel Sanders. Uh, they mm-hmm. talk about what they're going to do. There's a, a very nice portrait of the Injustice Society 
They must have gotten that like yes. a very good characterist in oh, Central yeah. Park somewhere. Yeah. And it's that wallpaper, which is actually very hard to hang. Like they mm-hmm. must have really brought in some people mm-hmm. to yeah, but first take about, the picture. Think about how it, big the safe is on the other side of that. <laughs> yes, that's yeah. true. Because uh, as the we know, footage. all pictures, all pictures have safes behind them. Yeah, well, yes. really nice old timey pictures too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the footage, of course, we Brainwave found out that Courtney was Stargirl, but he's in a coma now. They don't know that it is Stargirl at all. They think it is a new Starman. They just sort of have a blip of it. And Icicle says, I killed one Starman. I can kill another. And that's how we end the episode. Yeah. Well, the he, music- also, he also freezes the TV, which felt unnecessary. Yeah. They're yeah. going to have to get a new one. And the uh, On That Man song or whatever was playing, that was a fun entrance song, like great, like big villain entrance moment. I thought that was another great, like comic book kind of moment playing up the villain entrance as well. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, that was like a really great kind of badass villain thing. Yeah, I'm curious to see where they go with him. I've been rereading the JSA issues that David Goyer and Jeff Johns wrote, and they do... They do such a great job with Icicle in there, but Icicle is much more like a sarcastic sub-villain than the big boss. Yeah. So uh, there's not necessarily a one-to-one there. Again, like, curious to see what they do with him going forward, because even in this short bit, he is clearly the guy in charge, clearly terrifying. It's going to be fun to see how it plays out. Yeah. yeah. That all said, who was the star of this episode, guys? Who was the star Ooh. of this episode? Pete, you're probably going to say the shoes or the Christmas present or something like that. Well, uh, I mean, I was going to say Mike, um, you know, because, <laughs> you know, but I'm worried he's going to get cut out. So I don't want to ruin it. She's um, really focused on the edit. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, Luke Wilson. I felt like he really delivered on this uh, episode and really got to kind of flex and show a lot of like what he's going to be like moving forward, especially with the training sandwich montage. That was just glorious. Justin, what about you? I got to give it up to brainwave. Uh, I thought um, setting up a good villain, even though he's defeated pretty soundly here in this episode, like was it really added uh, sort of a depth to the whole thing and made it, made it great for Courtney and, uh, and Pat to overcome him. So got to give it up to brainwave. I would also give it up to Luke Wilson, I think for the episode, but just to choose somebody else, I'm going to go with Beth chapel, uh, the kid at the table who's talking to her parents wow. just because Oh wow, nice. such a fun bit. Gotcha. So weird. Liked it quite a bit. Definitely a small scene that completely stood out to me. All right, folks. As mentioned, we're going to have a bonus podcast that's going to go up Tuesday night after the CW airing. You'll get those 10 minutes that you're missing from the episode back. It's going to be loose. Getting loose. (laughs) Several martinis, several very dirty, disgusting martinis is like what I I like to call them. Disgusting. Uh, That said, if you want to support this podcast, as mentioned earlier, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast and YouTube. Come on by. Happy to chat about Stargirl with all of you. Socially, Star Guys Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Check us out there. iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show, particularly on iTunes. Leave us a comment. Leave us a rating. Those help us out quite a bit, and we really appreciate it. 
comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. For the Star Guys, this is Alex. This Side is Justin. Off. This is Pete. Sign it off. We're going to nail that sign off. We're oh, nail man. It. One of these days. <laughs> <laughs>